Hello, Pumpkinheads. Just a quick note before we start the episode. We did have audio issues on this, but we did our best to clean it up to make it sound good for your ears because we care about you. We love you. And we did the best we could, uh, but know that there will be some sections that will be uh, rougher than usual. Peace and love. No more letters. No more letters. You know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. Everyone's always so busy kissing New York and L.A.'s butt. We don't do, we don't do cocaine together. Me mm, gusta porno. That's the eternal question. That's all you're going to get. You're just going to have to wait. God damn it, payphone boy. We're just up the road a bit. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia-Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and that was a quote from America's favorite movie, Spun, which is the topic of today's conversation, specifically the Zwan soundtrack that accompanies it. How's that for a, an intro? <laughs> Jolly Zwan. <laughs> Jolly Zwan. I feel like I was talking like Jeff Goldblum or something with my pauses there, but... Uh-huh. I'm working on pausing rather than saying, um, you know what I mean? I think Good that's better. Yeah. I think that works out better for the listener. In my mind, it's like live cause I'm so used to listening to it. So it's, it's funny to think, okay, you know, you're stopping and starting. <laughs> uh, so that voice that you hear is our guest for this episode. We have on the show, uh, you may know him as the bass player in, uh, New York City bands like Phantom Handshakes and Holy Tunics. He also releases solo music on Bandcamp. Uh, under his name. He grew up in Chicago suburbs and was fortunate enough to see Zwan multiple times. We're talking to Matt Billington. Matt, welcome to the show. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Pat, and thank you, Frank, for having me on. It's an honor to be a guest on the podcast after having spent the last uh, year to year and a half-ish listening to pretty much all the episodes you guys have put out. You guys have been a great sort of uh, pandemic extra aid uh you know, I have you guys on when I'm cooking or when I'm going for a walk or doing laundry. It always seems to find me at the right time. So I've enjoyed uh, listening and happy to be here. Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate that. And yeah, we didn't set like, it's funny now, Frank, because like, I don't know, man, we we are two years into this pandemic thing. And it happens to coincide with we didn't plan it this way. Nobody planned it this way. But the life of this podcast, like by the time we actually yeah. launched this thing, COVID was just descending on our shores. And yeah. um, but, you know, I think it has been because of that. I think we probably needed it a lot, you know, a lot more than we would yeah. have otherwise. So, yeah, we appreciate that. And we're glad that it's given people something to, um Something to do, frankly, because <laughs> we could all use something, you know, entertaining to do. Correct. Um, so before we get jump into this episode, we got to do some thanks real quick. Pat, we got Lori Boykin to thank for signing up on our Patreon. Thank you, Lori. Also, thank you to Thomas Amy Griffin. Big, big thanks to at Dean55, who I think might be Dean Schaefer. I apologize. I just it just has the um, the uh, the the handle on here on uh, buymeacoffee.com. For your generous donation. Another Buy Me a Coffee supporter, Cody Biasi. And also thanks to Blue Bear as well for donating on buymeacoffee.com. So once again, you can find us on uh, Patreon. Sign up. You can get some uh, extra goodies on there. We got some, uh, we got the Zwan SNL commentary coming up. 
uh, that's going to be released and uh, some other Zwan related goodies and pumpkin goodies on that Patreon. If you don't want to sign up on Patreon, we are on buymeacoffee.com and you can find those links in the show description or on our socials. Uh, we have a link tree up on Twitter and Instagram on Twitter at pumpkins podcast and on Instagram at smashing pumpcast cast spelled K A S T. And of course you can always reach out to us via email uh, we had a lot of great people like Matt Lockwood or Frank Ortega and some of the people who sent us these files uh, for this episode yes. who would just email us some rare stuff that's really helpful for the show because um, especially with this soundtrack, we had mm -hmm. to kind of scour and find you know different files from different places. So we really appreciate those of you who email us those files. And uh, yeah, thanks. Yes, seriously, this this episode is proof that it, not everything is just easily accessible. So, um, yeah, we really appreciate you guys sharing, uh, sharing the wealth, sharing the music, and of course, all of your support. We we really appreciate it. Um, well, let's let's talk about Matt. I want to talk about Matt a little bit. Let's let's talk about your history with music. You're a musician, obviously, but also your relationship with the Pumpkins, where it began, and and of course Zwan, um, yeah. By extension, just give give us give us some background in your life as a music fan and musician. Definitely. Well, I've I've played guitar since I was about nine or eight years old probably about third, second or third grade. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a common story. Spent a lot of time watching MTV as a kid, listening to the radio. So from an early age, it was kind of just ingrained into me. And, you know, growing up in the Chicago area, I, you know, caught on with the pumpkins pretty quickly. And then it kind of escalated and I became a bigger fan, you know, as I was probably a seventh or eighth grader. And this was around the time of Adore and Machina. So I kind of you know, transitioned into a, a different kind of level of a fan right around the Machina time, which was, you know, interesting because that was an era where the sound, you know, as a kid, I'm like, wow, this sounds like such a different band than Gish and Siamese Dream. And I was, you know, just amazed. And I, I couldn't even like process how hearing Machina and Adore after being used to Siamese Dream and Melancholy, you know, mm -hmm. and this was when I was 14. So right. as a kid, you have a different attitude towards it as, as than you do as an adult. But yeah, the music just kind of stuck with me, and it definitely was part of the reason why I picked up instruments. And, you know, I also learned how to play bass and sing and play drums and even a little bit of piano. And uh, I didn't get to see the Pumpkins in their first go-around, you know, between 1988, of course, and 2000. But mm. I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time during the Zwan era. And I, yeah, spring of 2002, I remember my mom drove me and a friend to... World Music Theater, Amphitheater, or Tinley Park. It was called the Tweeter Center at the time. Um, the Pumpkins had played there on the Adore Tour. But yeah, that was my first time seeing Zwan in the spring of 02 at a radio festival, which also had The Strokes and Tenacious D and some bands like that. Yeah, <laughs> which is, early 2000s yeah. all-stars. Yeah, Exactly. It was a real uh, it's a time capsule there. And then I, I was, you know, I, like I had told you guys, I got to see them at the Metro during the the Mary Star of the Sea album release shows, which was, that was kind of when I was sort of captivated and, you know, transformed into a different zone of, you know, wow, this is, this is crazy to see this up close and just mm -hmm. to see them all playing together. And, you know, that's just one of those moments where I'm like, wow, okay, like this is what I 
need to this is what i want to do like in life is just play music and yeah you know. and how how did those um shows compare to each other because i i also and I, it wasn't at the metro but i i also yeah. didn't see the pumpkins in their original run and so seeing zwan was the first yeah. time i saw billy perform on the mary star of the sea tour in new york but i imagine you how, like how did that i imagine the metro shows were pretty special anyway but how did the previous show compare with the um album tour show or album release show yeah well so the first time i saw them at, at the at the radio festival show in 2002 you know we couldn't get up close because it was at a big amphitheater like an outdoor you know it was a radio station kind of spring early summer festival so the sound was you know not at all up to the level that the sound in the metro was so we were far away and it was like a big kind of stadium echo you know sort of experience with the sound but it was still just crazy to see, to be there and to you know see Billy Corgan after hearing, you know he's this just this figure of the radio and the magazines and the paper and TV. So mm-hmm. that was not quite all it was mustered up to be. But the Metro shows, you know, when that's a 1100 capacity club and being able to be in like the first five ten rows and you know within 20 30 feet of them, that was kind of a different experience in terms of. Like, okay, wow, this is this is what I wanted to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, it was the dead of winter. I remember my hand was so cold that I couldn't even open my wallet to take my Ticketmaster ticket stuff mm-hmm. out of the wallet. And I remember the security guard having, to, I like let him reach into my wallet to pull out the ticket stuff to get in. That's <laughs> you how don't cold do that very often. Yeah, it's got to be real cold <laughs> no. to let a stranger reach into your wallet. Yeah. And I remember just my dad driving me down and tickets were like, you know, $40 or something. And then none of my friends were at the time were into, well, somewhere, but no one wanted to go to that show in the dead of winter. So I mm-hmm. braved it and went by myself as like a 16 year old. So, you know, n- nostalgic looking back, you know, yeah. but it was, it was something, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that just, ta- just speaking of festivals, um, this is oh, yeah. un- unrelated, but related, but Frank and I did snag tickets to the Beach Life Festival, which the Pumpkins are headlining this May. So, awesome. if you're a West Coaster out there, um, Pumpkin fan, or if you're plan, if you're not and you're planning on traveling, let's uh, be in touch because it's going to be yeah. fun. We'll, de- I mean, we have some time. We'll definitely plan you know, some kind of uh, coverage over that. Who knows? Maybe yep. we can even put on our pumpkin press passes and you know it's <laughs> exclusive access but yeah anyway just we're excited if we can uh if we could do it if we get backstage if we hit up our connection we get backstage uh we promise <laughs> i know it's gonna be may so i'm setting us up but we promise to dress as a pumpkin press yes we will have little things cards in our in our fedoras or whatever you know our, our hats <laughs> so uh but yeah it's we we've you know we haven't been able to make it to these last couple of east coast um fests that they've done so we're super psyched you know it's oh yeah i I know that i know the pandemic is um not slowing down necessarily maybe it will i hope it will but i'm i've i'm uh, yeah this is one of the um, many bets we're placing with concerts in 2022 so yeah I'm, i'm jealous that you guys have that right in your backyard because that's a cool um it's a cool lineup, Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, with you know the new singer, mm-hmm. and yeah. also, I mean, of course, Weezer has changed into a very more top forty style. But you know, it's cool to see if they play some of the old '90s stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it, it it looks like it'll be a fun show. I was able to go to the uh, the See Here Now New Jersey Pumpkin show, and that was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, nice. I yeah. never would have never would have thought I would see Smashing Pumpkins in 2021. So yeah, that's pretty a, cool. A strange surprise outdoors on a beach. 
Yeah, it seems like yeah. an amazing show from our perspective. Um, we definitely dissected it and watched everything we could of it. Yeah. yeah. So today we're talking about the, I guess we should say this was never officially released. There was never an official soundtrack release for the movie Spun. Um, but there were songs by that were credited to the Jolly Zwan, mm-hmm. which is, as we know, the acoustic version of Zwan. It's kind of a little loose with that term since we covered mm-hmm. the Jolly Zwan shows before. And somebody, I can't remember, I apologize, sent us um, a later Jolly Zwan set from Europe because they, they didn't play many uh, shows as Jolly Zwan, but this one, I guess, techni- technically is. And it sounded great, but yeah, there's very little there about Jolly's Wan. In this version, we have Linda Strawberry being a, a big part of one of the songs, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that later. But uh, Pat, what is Spun? Spun is a 2002 black comedy crime drama film directed by my personal friend Jonas Ockerland, who mm-hmm. famously I once. Um, was a PA on set for a commercial he was directing in New York City's, and I ran around Manhattan trying to get a specific flavor of kettle chips for him, potato <laughs> chips. Um, so that's my personal connection to Jonas Ockerland. And I think I drove him to set from his hotel at one point. Um, but yeah, the original music for the film was written by Billy Corgan, performed by Jolly Zwan, um, which is sort of the... Listening to it, I, I guess rather than a strictly acoustic, it's kind of, um, is it all drumless? Is that what what sort of, in terms of the recorded music? Like a lot of it is guitar so. and um, piano, sometimes yeah. electric guitar, so it's not strictly acoustic. But the thing that I think stood out to me sound-wise as in terms of defining this like incarnation as one is that there weren't a lot of drums, which obviously Jimmy Chamberlain, you know, it, that changes that changes the dynamic but um yeah really great stuff Cons- you know considering a lack of jimmy is kind of maybe what defines it but um yeah corrigan billy is also i i i haven't re-watched the movie recently but i did watch it i was this was definitely like on my radar back when this came out so i definitely got a hold of the dvd i probably rented it from blockbuster and um <laughs> Yeah, Billy has a little cameo where he's wearing a wig. And <laughs> um, Matt, you you watched the movie again recently, right? I I did, yeah. And it was, you know, in the beginning, it was I was sort of into it, but then it, you know, you guys described it. You you had it very well put in the past when you said it was sort of uh, similar to Requiem for a Dream, right? You know, with the very quick edit flash, mm-hmm. the late '90s, early 2000s style, like almost like this this glorification of drug use and like romanticizing of like you know that sort of culture and you know it's like drugs and sex and like people that are uh, their term is spun or or, you know people that are on methamphetamine or whatever they're on you know movies that were sort of edited the way that like your heart is thumping or your eyes are dilating like very like yeah yeah they have these like like, cartoon interludes of like him hallucinating and like seeing things and just you know they're just constantly they're junkies you know they're just sniffing all day and yeah, you know, it's so it's not, but but the cast is what's interesting. It's a real kind of uh, ensemble, early two thousands who's who with uh, 
J, uh, let's see, Jason Schwartzman and uh, Patrick Fugit, who had the guy from uh, Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. He's the guy in the scene with Billy, who I didn't realize until I saw the credits. Um, Mina Samari or Savari, and mm-hmm. uh, of course Brittany Murphy, the late. Right. Yeah, Mickey Rourke is good. He's you know, if you if you're into him, it's kind of funny. One of the many uh, kind of strange little connect, or one of the several <laughs> yeah. weird kind of um, connections to uh, from w- between Mickey Rourke and like Pumpkin World, kind of right? Because mm-hmm. like Darcy yeah. was running around with him for a while, right? Yeah, like, I don't know if they were dating, but I know they were hanging out together. Yeah, which yeah, is honestly never that. good. But you know. well, you know what they say, boys: if you can't stand the heat, get off a of Mickey Rourke sex grill. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I had re- in reading about it, I realized that Jonas he directed what the Everlasting Gaze yes. and the Try 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 video. Right. Yeah, yeah, we should we should so. definitely mention that he he prior to this that was sort of um, mm-hmm. presumably how they knew each other. He directed. Um, I mean, the Try 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 video itself is like kind of a. Um, a short, yeah. yeah, it's a pre. It's it's a there is a short film version of it, you know. So it's like a super video that was was like a little movie, um, and it was like banned from MTV or but it won some awards in Europe or something. Yeah, yeah Jonas yeah. Ackerlund was kind of the uh, provocative director of that time, you know. Mm-hmm. With uh, didn't he direct the Smack My Bitch Up video and then right that Madonna video? He they was got doing banned. some Madonna. Oh yeah, the which, the, which uh, song was that? What it, that makes sense. What it yeah, feels like for a girl or something. I can't or, remember, but his whole thing was like always like nudity or violence or drug mm-hmm. use and mm-hmm. like he did the turn the page video for uh, or the cover that Metallica did which was kind of like disturbing too. He was always like famous for like getting his videos banned from MTV. Yeah. They would only show it after midnight. He's know? done That's a cool. ton of videos. He went on to do um, Lady Gaga video. Like he's, he's. Yeah. I'm looking at his videos right That's, now. It's like So he's ton. been around and he's still, he's like active and big and doing everything still. That's cool. That was his calling card, I guess, just being edgy and, you know, getting the extremist kind of uh, seemed to work out for him. He did yeah. one for um, Ali G and Shaggy, the character Ali G, for a song called Me Julie, which is, of course, Ali G's um, girlfriend that he refers to. So, yeah, too many to go through, but tons. Yeah, prominent uh, video director. And not to get too off topic, but that popular Mickey Rourke movie called The Wrestler that came out a few years after this movie, there's some sort of weird precursor you know, to that in this movie because the character... Um, Mickey Rourke's like the the cook who's like the chemist who's like making all the drugs in these like rundown motels mm-hmm. and trailers, and he's he's a fascinated with wrestling and he's always watching wrestling on yeah. the TVs and at like almost every scene in this movie he's like he's like oh look at this look 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 at that look at that move and he's trying <laughs> to show Jason Schwartzman these wrestling moves and and he's wearing like the white cowboy boots and he like you know he even just looks like a wrestler so yeah that it's is weird interesting if, but if he they, didn't like, make drew, the wrestler right he didn't he, I know but he did not but it made me direct it. Th- this is true. Yeah, there's nothing, no affiliation in terms of other than it just being the same actor. But I wonder if um, if it was an idea. He's like, yeah, I want to do this wrestling thing. Up. Yeah, you know, yeah. You never yeah. know. I mean, right. funny guy. Oh, anyway. Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> so The Wrestler yeah. was directed by Darren Aronofsky, kind of another ah. um, one of your sort of yeah. uh, quick cut drug, you know, great, right, talented, sure. but drug di- one of your drug directors, one of your prominent drug directors. Um, yep. That's yeah. dismiss. That's I don't mean to <laughs> d- diminish yeah. the talent of but, either of these people because they're very talented. But, but that was such a thing for those 15, 20 years, you know, just like drugs, suicide, sex, rock and roll, you know, yeah. MTV generation, you know, yeah. that, those kinds of movies, you know, right. in the blockbuster era. 
Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Blockbuster Video is what I assume you mean, because that's where I rented this from um, to watch it. <laughs> that's where I bought the yep. uh, Lost Highway soundtrack, because that was the closest place to me that had it, and I spent like $25 on it, because the CDs they would sell <laughs> at Blockbuster Video were so expensive. Yeah. Well, uh, what do you say we get into this? As I said, it's unofficial release. There was a bootleg uh, going around titled Spun Unofficial Soundtrack that had all the songs in the film, uh, meaning the the other songs that weren't Jolly Swan songs. Uh, but so for this one, the only ones that we couldn't find are uh, the Scorpions cover, uh, Loving You Sunday Morning. For some reason, it's been hard for anybody to find this cover. I'm not sure where it is in the movie since I haven't seen it recently. And uh, we also couldn't find the recorded version of The Shining Path. Uh, we could only find the live version of that. So we'll talk briefly about them, but we won't spend too much time. But just as a, a heads up, we're going off of the spcodex.wiki listing of the soundtrack. That's the order we're going to go in, and that's the order we're going to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, those two tracks were not easily found. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what do you say we get into this, fellas? Let's do it. All right, the first track we'll be talking about is the Iron Maiden cover of The Number of the Beast. Cause in my dreams, it's always there. The evil face that twists my mind brings me to despair. Six, 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 the number of The number of the beast, Matt, what are your feelings on this? We've already talked about it. Pat and I have talked about this a few times already. So uh, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I've i always liked this one. It's it's interesting because, you know, at the time as a teenager seeing it, I, you know, you, do, you don't recognize the voice because right in the credits it says, you know, music by Billy Corgan right away. And then in the end of the credits, it says the Dejali or the Jolly, the Jolly's Juan in the credits. So it's it's like, you know, they want to get the name across to appeal that it's Billy Corgan. But then it's interesting that the first song is Matt Sweeney. Mm -hmm. And I think he does a great job. Um, you guys have mentioned before in this one episodes that, you know, he has sort of a nice, soft, raspy, hushed voice that kind of complements Corgan's voice in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. You know, it works together in, in it, in uh, the fact that it's so different from his voice. But it's interesting that it's a cover. I, I forgot how... The, uh, the real version or the, the Iron Maiden version is the original version, I should say. But I think it's a nice reimagining and uh, slowed down version of the song. One interesting note I noticed about this song is I'm almost positive that it's Linda Strawberry is singing some backups on this song, which I didn't notice the first couple times around. But mm -hmm. um, and she's not credited on the on the SP Codex wiki of it, but uh it's cool to hear her in there if you listen closely to it, I think. And also, it, it's possible that that's Jimmy Chamberlain, I believe, to be drumming with his hand on the back of an acoustic guitar because you hear just kind of like this thump mm -hmm. tap along throughout the song. And I mean, who knows? It could have been Paho or anyone playing it. But yeah, um, yeah that, that's sort of what I think. I think it's a cool way to open the film. It's uh, They use the song when Jason Schwartzman's driving around after 
you know, going to search for drugs on a bender. And mm-hmm. it's just kind of like this highway scene with the credits rolling in the intro and right. the song playing. So it works in that way. Yeah. The um, Just in terms of um, the actual version of the song, I can't tell because I listened to the the version from the Spun soundtrack, which, you know, you can hear Linda's vocals in the background, Linda Strawberry kind of whisper background vocals. The, the, the take itself, the track itself sounds the same as the version that's on um, the Honestly single, except for the, you, that one you can't really hear. You can almost hear like, even, it just sounds like Linda is like super, super, super low in the You can hear like faint little, you know, and I was mm-hmm. listening to like the actual CD of it on headphones and you, you can't really hear her in that, but it sounds like the same take, the, the same recording of... Um, Sweeney singing that song. It could be entirely different versions. I don't really know, but it's probably yeah. a different mix. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a different mix. Yeah, yeah. Also, I wouldn't like. I wonder if it is Linda or Paz. Like, I wonder who, like at that time, yeah, because Paz was already part of the band. But I, I think since Linda was maybe associated with it, it might it might be her. I thought it was her. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's definitely difference in their voices. Hmm. Yeah, after listening, I, I definitely think it's Linda. But it's it's interesting because, you know, most people would just listen and think that it's Paz because it's Zwan and they yeah. don't know about, you know, mm-hmm. about Linda's affiliation. But yeah, it's interesting. She does a good job. I like it. Yeah, I love this cover. I think, I mean, I love Iron Maiden and I, the original song is awesome. that they reconstructed this it's just i think it's really cool i think Mm -hmm. i love the the feeling of it the tone of it that kind of dusty trail type of feel Mm -hmm. i I love this cover yeah it's like but it's obviously taking a metal song and making it a like you know an acoustic version but it's not entirely mellow either there's like an ominous quality to it um which i think you which is great you know you want to like retain a little bit of an evil um undertone if you're going to be covering (laughs) maiden regardless of whether or not it's plugged in you know well they do that a few times on this soundtrack i mean we haven't heard the scorpions cover but if you've ever heard we'll get to it later but then also the ufo cover like even to a certain extent, Pat Benatar, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. they're just taking these kind of rock songs and yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to the other songs, but I think it's interesting that there's more than one cover, especially metal cover on here mm-hmm. or yeah. hard rock cover. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, the next track is freedom ain't what it used to be. Freedom ain't what it used to be. Matt, what are your feelings on this track? Freedom ain't what it used to be. Yeah, this one kind of stood out to me. I I think it fits in nicely uh, with the catalog of what um, Billy Corgan and what Zwan was up to around that time. 
Um, right after Zwan, he did those Chicago songs, acoustic in 2004. And, you know, I think this sort of has the same kind of energy and the same style as a lot of those stronger songs that he was doing around that time. Um, I think it's a pretty song. It's kind of a classic, you know, a little bit folk tinged. It could kind of fit somewhere in on like an Adore B-side or a Machina softer song, I think. It mm-hmm. has a little bit of like a folky, feel, you know, dusty road like you talked about feel to it. Um, it's cool. How I think he has those lines about Kerouac used to walk these roads. And mm-hmm. I think Matt Sweeney's uh, backup vocals fit nicely in the song too. It sort of it sort of introduces like, you know, the team of Zwan or it introduces the different roles and the voices in the band, I think, nicely. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, man, I've, I've always loved this song. Like, but this is, so, so the version on here is um, different than the, um, the version that I knew prior to this, which was from the Honestly single. This one, I think, is, it's really beautiful. Um, it reminded me, maybe just because I happened to be listening to this song recently, but it's got this hauntingness, uh, uh, this haunting kind of feeling of um, like Daniel Johnston's Some Things Last a Long Time yeah. to it, which is obviously, you know, a beautiful song covered by many people. Your picture But yeah, this one is one of my favorite. This version of this track is one of my favorite pieces of music on here. That lonely electric guitar and just kind of the soft rustle. There's like no real percussion to speak of, but there's just this kind of rustling like in place of percussion. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really love this one. Yeah, I agree. I love this. I think this is my favorite version of the song because I'm used to hearing the live version a lot, but... Um... I just think it's an interesting arrangement in the way re- they recorded it. And uh, to your point, Matt, it did feel very adorish to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like that it was from that era. But I just absolutely love the mood of the way they recorded yeah. this version. Yeah, that's it's interesting. I, I never really thought that until just now. Yeah, sort of like a uh, tale of Dusty and Pistol Pete sort of feeling. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't think of it the first time I, I just spoke of it. But the chorus of the song is really stands out to me. Yeah. Like the, the look before you leap, watch the company you keep, mm-hmm. never fall asleep bit. Lyrically, that's always like gotten stuck in my head, kind of. From, like, that's always stayed mm-hmm. with me. And I, I kind of have, I, I, I've um, developed a little bit of an adore theory about this. Like, if we are to consider this an album, you know, the Spun soundtrack, which I think since it's centered around a movie, it's like a great album, you know, even though this isn't officially an album. But like some of the best albums kind of almost feel like a little movie, you know, like takes yeah. you on a journey. So if you've already got the movie yeah. baked in and the go- that like there's going to be a cohesiveness to the songs. But um, in the next track we talk about, um, that's when I really there, there are a few moments where I started thinking, thinking of this as almost like a sister album to Adore, um, if we're going to yeah. call it an album. Almost like mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have read the Sandman comic books, but yeah. Um, you know when the Sandman becomes like the white Sandman, you know? This is like 
to me, this album is like the white Sandman version of the like dark black Adore. You know, like it's just yeah, it's fit. It it fits in that world. It creates that kind of mood, but it's like a different. It's not like this dark night of the soul feeling per se, but it's got that kind yeah. of pretty loneliness of of Adore throughout. It's it. like Adore, but out in the desert in the middle yeah, of a daytime dry day, yeah, you know? daylight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> daytime yeah. Adore. Daylight Instead of the adore. autumn autumn nocturne music or Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh even more true for our next song, which is Thank You No. It's not kind of where i developed this theory was was on um this this song in particular yeah uh matt what are your feelings on thank you no oh boy this one this one is i usually don't like on pumpkins there's one out on this one album or pumpkins albums i don't really you know go forward and think to myself oh this is my favorite but for this soundtrack for this collection of songs think you know is definitely my favorite one um there's just something about the way he recorded those vocals it's almost as if the, the you know the vocal lessons or the training that he took during a door mm-hmm. kind of reached this focal point this plateau where he just sounds so clear and, and so you know delicate and breathy and just you know it's just beautiful like the way he puts the his phrasing together in the song and that that's how i felt as a kid right and i still think that it holds up i think it's a great song but man at the time i didn't understand how it wasn't like a really big song on the radio or how they didn't you know make a single out of it or how they didn't you know and i understand it was just in a movie it was a b-side it wasn't even on their their album proper but you know sometimes you, you can look back at this and think this is basically the closest that anyone ever got to to hearing the much talked about jolly de jolly's Juan album you mm-hmm. know this this soundtrack right. kind of acts as a, a proxy or de facto soundtrack for it mm-hmm. but um yeah all i'm just really trying to say is that i think it's a great song i hear um it's, I hear like two different guitars, I think, and a piano. So I'm envisioning, you know, because we don't really know too much about these sessions, but I'd like to imagine that it's, you know, Dave and Matt and Billy all playing on this and maybe he overdubbed the piano afterwards. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it seemed like it was a group collaborative effort Yeah. in this one. Yeah. But yeah, great, great song, I think. One of the highlights for me. I mean, I love this. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think this is one of the strongest songs on the album. And I wrote down, like, I think this is uh, Zwan or Jolly Zwan at some of their best. Mm-hmm. That was like, oh, this is what it could have been. And it is that thing of like, I would have loved to have at least had a Jolly Zwan EP, like an official. And I know we're going to get that stuff within the next year or two, but like, it's it's just it gives me like Medellia of the Gray Skies like kind of mm-hmm. vibes. It's yeah. just yeah. this beautiful atmosphere and arrangement. And I wrote down it's a very Billy vocal arrangement, but it's like some of his totally. best. Yeah. Some of his yeah, best. Definitely. It's just it's beautiful and yeah, I love it's romantic to me. Uh and it also makes me wonder like what the rock version would sound like. You know how mm-hmm. sometimes they'll like <laughs> beef it up and I'm like, oh man, I love this song as it is, but to imagine the beefed up rock version too would be incredible as well mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I also love this song lyrically. I it, this really stuck with me this week. Like this just like hit home. I love this. Um, I love this kind of palette they're playing with of just kind of guitars or or string instruments and piano basically. Like it's it's both. Um, it's like you can't call it totally stripped down because it's not the most. It's not like sleepy music. It's not like straight up vocals and acoustic guitar but like i guess i'm just speaking broadly about this you know album but um yeah it's such a pretty kind of um minimalist kind of like you know uh, uh sound palette but but like not sparse either it feels really full it's yeah. it's hard to call it stripped down but it's hard to call it uh, stripped up either you know it's like a very confident kind of like music words lyrics and singing billy's singing yeah. on several of these songs is really impressive and he kind of does um sort of it, it i have i have some other thoughts like in in songs we'll get to about like there's moments where billy does it just kind of shows off facets of his voice that you don't quite you quite haven't heard before um so yeah i couldn't agree more I, this this is one of my one of my top you know three off off of here yeah i, I couldn't agree more with the, with both of you guys and it's interesting not to go on too long about this song but Frank I had the same note in my notes that um that I wrote that it could have been one of uh, Billy Corgan's greatest vocal performances you know that many people don't even know about which yeah. is a shame but uh it honestly it just something about the way he sings this song and and I had the same note as you also Pat about how you know how the whole the, the Billy vibrato phase that kind of mm-hmm. came in around like the Rose March and yeah. you know during the the zeitgeist era that would just follow like four year five years after this, you kind of hear a little hint of that in Definitely. that chorus. In that there's the that line that's really nice about the like rivers come and rivers go straight from my head or straight from my heart like to my aching soul. You know he does mm-hmm. the whole fragile kind of delicate Billy vibrato, but yeah, yeah, it just yeah. all comes together. I I remember when um. When my when I rented the movie from Blockbuster, and I would just rewind that scene, and watch this song, over and over a couple times because, you know, I can before I was able to download it, and I would just watch that scene and listen to the song, and then they go into an adult video shop, uh, Mickey Rourke and Jason Schwartzman, and Rob Halford, the guy from Judas Priest, <laughs> is the clerk at the store. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. Really, it's it, yeah, you're, it's really funny because. They have the song playing in the car with like the clear, you know, studio production, you know, film score audio. Mm-hmm. But then when they go into the adult video store and Mickey Rourke's like, yeah, check this out here, man. Like, look at this video here. The They change the, the audio filter so it sounds as if Rob Halford's listening to the song playing mm-hmm. in the store. Right, So, you know, right. it has their like muffled sound. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just an, it's it's just an odd place. right? Is yeah. that what right. it's called? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah non-diegetic. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah. You guys know that better than I. <laughs> Uh, we yeah, barely know it, but I know diegetic. Diegetic sound. I think I've got non- a hold on it, but I always feel a little um, uh, like lacking in confidence oh, saying yeah. it out loud. <laughs> you know, <laughs> me too. Like L cut or J cut. Like I'm like, wait, which one is which? <laughs> right. Yeah. Still don't fully know, but I understand what what it's basically about. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool how they cross that barrier. To, yeah, that reminds me of a, a film, a class I took in college. But yeah, the whole now they hear the sound in the movie that's being filmed, whereas you know. Yeah. Now we hear it in production. Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah, and and not that in years, and not having watched the movie in a while, but but you you're reminding me like 
just the vibe of this movie by mentioning like the you know the Rob Halford cameo and of course Billy's in it. Like there's something yeah. so fun about like a um a kind of like indie movie where you get to kind of have fun with like uh, you know like that obviously the the music was a big part of this but the music bleeds into the film itself in terms of like having actual musicians like fun musician cameos and like yeah. i feel like i'm thinking of like movies that debbie harry w- would pop up in and stuff oh, yeah. you know like just like 80s movies that like w- you know i yeah. don't know like penelope spheris type of movies and stuff like yeah Buster Poindexter kind of yeah like totally yeah, yeah. J- yeah David Johansson yeah him show yeah him. speak speaking of which you you recall that then I, I don't think many people talk about this or know it but Debbie Harry is in this movie also oh is she oh, wow that's which why, is crazy maybe yeah that's why it's why you mentioned yeah. it yeah that maybe I was subconsciously remembering that <laughs> <laughs> well I, I was shocked too because you know in the credits it says Deborah Harry and I'm like oh is that Debbie Harry from Blondie and. And she plays this, uh, basically this peeping Tom neighbor to Jason Schwartzman, who's like putting her ear to the wall and listening to, mm-hmm. you know, all the crazy stuff he's up to in there. And then she's like this biker, um, this like biker lady. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's interesting nice. that she's in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like the level of cameo that they would have on um, The Adventures of Pete and Pete, which was like, you know, Debbie Harry. But also oh, like yeah, Iggy, Pop. Iggy Pop, like played yeah. the you know the friend's dad, and like Michael Stipe was like an ice cream man yeah. and stuff, you know. Um, Juliana Hatfield, yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. The next song is "Loving You Sunday Morning," which is a cover of the Scorpions. Scorpions or just so scorpions? Is it is it scorpions or the scorpions? Might just be scorpions. It's scorpions, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I just know from like European guys, just you know, screaming scorpions. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is unreleased. Uh, no copy has surfaced that we know of. Uh, from the, the, the original song is from their album Love Drive, which has one of the weirdest semi-disturbing album covers of all time uh look it up it's weird ass uh but the original song is not cock rock but cocky rock for sure it's of that that era uh and it's pretty you know it's pretty great you would probably hear it as a needle drop on um the new show peacemaker on hbo max uh it's like one of those type of like early hard rock metal type of songs that just like gets everybody like pumped up um Mm -hmm. have any of you heard of the original song um i've listened i listened to it in preparation for this but i i was not familiar with it but i have been talking about um scorpions because my wife cassia who you know obviously frank has been working on this show she's been doing a uh some writing for this show that involves like um or references this scorpions that rumor, I guess, which is that the CIA, so the Scorpion song, Wind of Change, yeah, which came out in like 1989. 
there are rumors that, and there's, a, I think, a whole podcast about this, but um, that the CIA, like, co-wrote that song <laughs> in an effort to, um, you know, expedite the tearing down of the Berlin Wall. And it was so, like, that the, the U.S. targeted scorpions to say, like, we're going to rock our way, you know, like, we're going we're gonna to rock down this wall. <laughs> So I don't know much beyond it, but it's a, the rumor alone is like very interesting. So that's yeah, what could that's be true. what I think of when I think of scorpions these days. That's awesome. I also had not really um, heard the original or the this Wand version. I um, I listened in preparation from the email to the Scorpions version, and I, th- I thought it was cool. It was definitely very different than what you would expect to hear from Zwan. And yeah, even in rewatching the movie last week, I. I can't recall if I remember hearing the song pop up. I mean, possibly low, you know, quiet in the mix in the background when they're driving in the car. Mm-hmm. Because they, they kind of tend to, like, cut to a lot of these little acoustic interludes and, you know, like them playing Mary Star of the Sea or Jesus Eye with a lot of reverb acoustic, just as, like, background film score, mm-hmm. you know, kind of placeholder audio. But um, I, I thought it was interesting, like, you guys have talked about how it was sort of like a a celebration of, of rock you know they're coming together mm-hmm. you know matt and dave billy pause and jimmy and just sort of you know bonding together over stuff that they grew up listening to or yeah. that, you know made them do what they do and i think it's cool that they you know because a lot of their fan base probably wasn't of course wasn't familiar with bands like ufo or scorpions right or, yeah you know at the time in 2002 or three so mm-hmm. it's, it's cool they do this because you hear it and you're like oh wow i had no idea that was a cover mm-hmm. you know yeah 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 Absolutely. And it kind of um, like I think one of the pull quotes on the cover of this movie is like um, crazy grunge adventure or something. But this music <laughs> is um, this music is so that's another thing you, when you start listening to all these songs like this. Obviously, a lot of it is referring or covering like pre grunge music. But the music itself and the sound, you could not call grunge by any stretch. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Not that the pumpkins had been really. D- d- doing anything that you could in in the years leading up to their breakup anyway but like it feels like this is officially like just thinking about how you kind of hear shades of billy's like voice to come you know like the his like sort of the way his singing style would evolve like it feels like um musically like the 90s are officially in the rear view mirror at this point you know yeah it's like the 90s are gone and everyone's messed up driving around the desert yeah uh, looking for drugs with mickey Rourke. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> listening yeah, that's all to you could do stripped yeah. down uh, acoustic mellow desert core but yeah and it, it also kind of fits in with like the the light that billy and zwan you know they wanted to separate themselves from the loud you know grunge 90s aesthetic of the pumpkins and you know they're like we're just going to sit here with our acoustic guitars and kind of mm-hmm. mellow it down a little bit so it kind of fits you know everything that they had envisioned for the jolly zwan mm-hmm. project you know this is like you know basically the version that we have of it so right yeah it's in celebration of rock as we said and it's even more clear with the fact that they're covering like late 60s to you know late 80s mm-hmm. hard rock especially right. yeah yeah well the next song uh that we have here but don't have here is the shining path
The Shining Path. So we've covered this live, and that's the only version we could find. But uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts on The Shining Path? Shining Path. You know, I, I'm familiar with it from the Glasshouse version. That's what we're working off of, basically, too, is that Glasshouse yeah. um, version. That's the one I thought he was saying, Tuesday wine. Yeah, this is a cool <laughs> one. I um, It sort of has like a, like a bluesy kind of, like Billy's trying to do, like a... You know the whole let your body sing let your body it's sort of like a slow waltz kind of i just think it's it's it fits differently it's a good change of pace that's what i'm trying to say basically but it's cool it works i think yeah 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 definitely a cool song it's it's great it really uh yeah really gets under your skin like but by the end of it for me All right, the next track is Jesus I. So this is a different version from the one that we're used to, even the live versions that we've heard so far and the Mary Star of the Sea version. And I don't know if this is, all the copies that I looked up had this weird skip that started happening like almost halfway through to the very end. And I wasn't sure if that was intentional or if that's just Mm -hmm. the only copy that it was like a, a copy protection thing that happened in the early aughts. Um, but I couldn't tell either. Yeah. Jesus, I, Matt, what is, what are your thoughts on this version or the song in general? Well, yeah, of course. I, um, I think it's great. It, it's, it's cool that they reworked the song in a different, you know, stripped down acoustic based fashion for the film. Um, of course it's a standout on Mary star of the sea title track, you know, combo joint two part song. Um, I think that in the movie it, it it, they place it well in, in scenes where they're driving or where they're sitting in the hotel, you know, not knowing what to do because they're strung out and whatnot. Um, it, it, yeah, it's cool to hear the guitar interplay between uh, Sweeney and Dave and everyone. Um, and it's cool because it just kind of drags on. It, it's sort of like a, a trance-inducing. It just kind of noodles and goes on and on and on. Um, but it's nice to hear the song in a different light compared to the album, which I love the album version too. I, I agree with what you guys had said on the other episode about how it's you know, one of the most like hypnotic kind of relaxing moments on the album when the guitars get quiet and the transition from the Jesus Eye to the Mary Star of the Sea part. Yeah, that's, I guess that's from, well, just going back to that, this skipping effect, because like, I couldn't tell, I don't know if Matt, you were working off of the same um, files we were, I think you were, right? Like, yeah, but so what's the deal with that? Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, yeah, not to cut off. I, um, I had a version in my iTunes from that I've had, you know, since I was in high school or college. And I don't know, maybe my version does have the skip, but I just haven't gone there. I haven't clicked on it or opened it in a long time. 
But when I heard the one that you guys had sent with the skip, I just sort of, you know, abandoned it or stopped. But I don't know. I mean, it's, I'd have to go into my computer later. It's weird and look because when you keep listening yeah, to it, I think it's, that's the case. It almost sounds intentional, or it, it yeah. doesn't sound like it's fully. Oh yeah. It doesn't sound like it's fully. Um, the music is ever fully going away. Like you're hearing. Like they meant for it to glitch out like that. It's like a Radiohead type of. Yeah. Aphex Twenty. Yes. But then occasionally you'll have a guitar part or a drum sound or something come in that's that's whole. Plays through it. Yeah. And it you're plays like, through the wait. Skip. Yeah. So I, I don't think it is. A, a, it's a weird choice, I think. But it's at first very distracting, I will say, and very. Yeah. It sounded like a. It sounded like a corrupted file or something. Yeah. Like it a sounds like the file like a is, bad, is messed bad, up. Bad AIFF or M4, yeah. MP3, what have you. But then, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I'll have to go look at it later. But then, if know. you listen through, by the end, it's sort of mellow. It continues all the way to the end for like several minutes, <laughs> but it kind of mellows out. And then by the end, it gets kind of really cool sounding. Almost like a yeah. chip tune version of like Brian Eno ambient music or something. It's like wow. a wild production. Cho- I couldn't tell if this was a wild production choice or just bum a bum file, but like either way, it was an interesting way to listen to this. <laughs> well, yeah, I really hope that for the the sake of um, it, it's for it being unique, that I think that would be one of the coolest production choices just to have something you know like very off kilter, yeah, know, just going for it style. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if Billy or Dave or Matt or anybody. Jimmy ever hears it, let let them know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I listened to this um, uh, throughout the week, but one of those times I decided to listen to after taking an edible. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for some reason, the track made more sense to me on the edible, right. I guess the way it was like kind of, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it was hard to tell because sometimes they, the instruments come in and out and it kind of sounds whole, but it's it might be a production thing. But I, up until that point, I love the psych trip version of this and it has a live feel to me that I really like that it's grit. It almost feels like they played it. I mean, even though the album version is played live too, but I feel like this is even more kind of more lo-fi grit to it, but then also has like a little like Madchester vibes to it. Um, It almost sounds like the Dandy Warhols. If you're familiar mm, with yeah. like especially their earlier stuff yeah. like it kind of has that kind of like trippy I can see that too, yeah yeah groove to it um i just love that vi- build up and i wasn't sure if that skip was intentional or not but it kind of works for me mm-hmm. but yeah I, I i really dig this version um but yeah it's, it's a huge mystery for me mm-hmm. uh for us, and I'm sure there's somebody listening, be like, "No, you idiots! That's uh, a skip." <laughs> right. yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think they, I think they meant to make the skip, and that every version has has it, and then you know it, it subtly goes in and out and comes back. And yeah, wow, it's interesting. I never noticed that. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's like yeah. a bold move, especially in the CD era, where where you are sort of like it's like a prank kind of at first. It's like uh, you know, like. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't, like, being like, hello? 
just kidding. I can't come to the yeah, phone exactly. Right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the CD. It's like the CD era version of of that for phones. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, the way. Hey, maybe. Oh, sorry. Maybe it was Jonas' idea. The director. That's true. That's yeah. True. <laughs> it's a, it's a hot take there on my part, but you never know. Well, the yeah. first time I ever heard "Hurts," uh, the Nine Inch Nails uh, song "Hurts" on um, CD. I was like, oh, something's wrong with this track. It's like breaking up and it sounds mm -hmm. like it's kind of like doing a weird thing, but it's purposely that way. I hurt myself today. The warbly piano, yeah. Yeah, or even like uh, some of the songs off of Broken too, where I would like hear it and I'd be like, what's wrong with the CD? And it's like, no, it's supposed to. That's just like Trent. That. Yeah. That's yeah. just Trent. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's uh, any final thoughts on Jesus Eye? Yeah, wild version. I think for me, I, I love the um, this this and the it's kind of companion piece, Mary Star of the Sea, which is obviously these are kind of like the centerpiece of the album. These are I've like in our Zwan season coverage, I've really come to appreciate and be kind of like it's been kind of eye opening to hear the kind of um, non album non mary star of the sea sides of of zwan yeah. and i've really dug it but in this case i just it's so tough to beat for me the the album versions of both of these songs i think yeah. the way they they play together and like the i think this is a this is a rare case where like the beefed up slicker album version um works better for me yeah cool all right well the next track we're gonna be talking about is freedom Sometimes I feel just like a this child, so far from home. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Freedom! Matt, what are your feelings on freedom? I didn't realize at the time that it was a cover. Um, I think Richie Havens mm -hmm. is the person who wrote the song. But yeah, it, you know, fits in like a lot of the other acoustic kind of numbers. Um, not too much more that I can recall, you know, in terms of this one. But I, I do, I did think it was nice. I like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is where we get on the track. We get a little bit that classic soundtrack um, drop in a bit of audio from the movie, um, which we referenced. God damn it, payphone boy. We're just up the road a bit. God damn it, payphone boy. We're just up the road a bit. Just keep on driving. Yeah, this got me to watch. This got me watching the the um, Woodstock performance of this by Richie Havens. Freedom, 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 freedom. Just, oh, cool! Which is awesome. Um, but yeah, they really go a different way with it in terms of the sound it's got this kind of rambling you know on the road again sort of sound um yeah and that's not it's you know it's uh it's a pretty fiery like this this is more of like a pretty lullaby version of like a pretty fiery live moment you know like it's but it's such a deliberate choice you know it's I, I think it's cool I, I i guess ultimately it's like taking this song in a very different direction but i i like you know I like this direction a lot too. Yeah, it kind of gives me Cotillion's vibes, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And it feels like it was like recorded live because there's like it sounds like mic feedback at one point. 
Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting. Maybe I, I heard that wrong, but um, yeah, I, I I don't have very many notes on this one. I think I liked it, but I don't think it stood out too much to me. Yeah, yeah, cool song. Well, this next song is one that we love to love, and it's called "Love to Love." Misty green. to love which is a cover of a ufo song uh yeah i got a lot to say about ufo in this song in particular the original one but matt your thoughts on love to love love to love another one of those tracks that you know at the time of the film of course i had no idea that it was a cover even recently in preparing for this and uh revisiting the material i didn't realize it had been a cover but uh i i have a note that it was just a good representation of the Billy Corgan, Linda Roberry, Linda Strawberry period, you know, of those early days, post pumpkins, early Zwan, mm-hmm. you know, the Salt Lake City sessions. And um, I, I have a note that Linda sounds really great on the vocals that she sings, you know, in harmony with him. Oh, yeah. The guitar solo at the end of the song was interesting. You know, in this cover, it just kind of jumps like out of left field with this big fuzz, Mm -hmm. you know, pumpkin Z kind of. This is like the one taste of like heavy electric guitar. This is probably the only electric guitar on the the soundtrack. I I might be wrong. Well, no, there's clean electric guitar and some of the other ones maybe but uh this is the most kind of like um stand or it's the most kind of like in a, in a way that i loved like it kind of slaps you in the face a little bit yeah yeah like so w- when i first heard it when i first heard it i thought oh this is a little bit overproduced and doesn't quite match the energy of the song but then when i heard the ufo version i'm like okay i get what billy was trying to do to make this big you know anthemic you know big uh, statement with the solo and it's just a big melody solo that you know matches the song mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I think it serves it, it's well put together um it's, it's a good you know tribute good cover to an old 70s song that he probably listened to they probably listened to when they were teenagers so mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool to see them come full circle and you know put their spin their spun on the song right <laughs> <laughs> they have spun it they have spun it. It's, I mean, it's cool. Like, I, you know, we we have chatted a, a fair amount with Linda Strawberry, kind of like off offline. Um, but we intend to have her back on the show, and it'll be really interesting to hear, you know, because I think she was coming from relative obscurity in terms of um, recording with all of these, like, you know, very well established musicians and stuff. I think she sounds yeah. great. This is a really cool vibe. It's kind of this like seventies, like Fleetwood Mackey, James Taylory kind of vibe. But then that again, that that I love the um the kind of like jolt of that electric guitar. 
Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a cool one. It's, it's like, I guess it's not my favorite overall, but, um, I like, I like what they're playing with here with like, they're experimenting with like what you can do with, um, a guitar solo and kind of like, just like a limited number of sounds going on at once. Yeah. It's almost like as if you're listening to it and you hear, you hear Linda prominently, you know, singing together with Billy, you know, harmonizing. It's almost as if uh, that guitar solo was him coming in and saying like, oh, in case you didn't know, like this is me playing on this song and I'm right, going to yeah. remind you of my set. It's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a very Billy solo, you know, mm-hmm. like the Billyified effect. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. He shows up at the end of the song to make his uh, presence known. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, to speak. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love the way their voices work together. Um, yeah, especially that to be something to be near you part is just so good. Um, yeah, I love the shredding guitar. I love Billy's voice on this. But to talk about UFO, the band themselves are one of you talk to like hard rock fans or metalheads, and they they have a lot of great things to say about UFO, and rightly so because they're one of the best like hard rock bands of their era. They don't get enough love, and especially this song in particular. The original is like one of my favorite rock songs. It's just incredible, and it's, I it's kind of a shock that it's not up there with like Bohemian Rhapsody or because of how epic it is and the production. Yeah, it's of so it. long. It's cool how it's like a big epic long. Oh song. yeah, this is one of those that like, you 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 chill out on a record. You know, you put a the record on, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, you just chill out to it because it's. Or not chill out to it, but just enjoy the epicness of it. Or like Stairway, you know? It's like one of those types of songs. Yeah, like right, zone right. out to it, like epic rock, yeah. prog rock, saga. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. get lost in it. And it's one of my favorites, yeah. And again, you get the sense that this is sort of this appreciation for this kind of music kind of, I feel, cuts to the core of like the initial um, spark of Zwan. You know, like what connected these people and made them interested in working together, I, I feel like had some a lot to do with their, you know, mutual respect for each other as like these you know 90s musicians but like this real affinity for like just like fucking rocking like non non hipstery kind of like just like you know rock rock like this real appreciation for it that's a good point because it's true that at that time you know it wasn't cool to be into that kind of stuff you know the time of like the they say the the bands the strokes the hives the you know the yeah yeah yeahs mm-hmm. it was no, everyone was doing this early 2000s kind of indie garage dance rock you know post punk or you know post alternative 90s kind of thing but it wasn't cool to to nod back to like 70s stoner you know riff guitar solo big but it's you know Zwan was never shy about their influences they wore them on their sleeves so mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah yeah well the next track we're going to talk about is always these may not be fair Always 
Not for just a day, not for just a year, but always. Always, which is an Irving Berlin cover from the 1920s. Uh, Matt, what are your feelings on Always? Yeah, another, um, you know, cool example of uh, of Corgan showing his, you know, his affinity, his taste for old classics, you know, kind of showing that he's well-rounded and that he's not, you know, they're not this 90s grunge rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know, unit that they know about music history. And, you know, you uh, you pull him up on Wikipedia, Irving, and it's like this black and white picture from the 20s and it's in the Great American Songbook. So it's cool that, yeah. you know, and there's there have been other songs that Billy Corgan and company have covered or have um, addressed that are, you know, traditional songs like that. Mm-hmm. But this was interesting. I had no idea that there's a Frank Sinatra version of this song out there as well. Oh wow! It's probably it's probably you know famous to our parents and or maybe people that are from that time. So days may not be fair. Always, that's when I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a cool choice. I think that um, you know, he kind of does plays the song, records it for the soundtrack, having not expecting people to realize that it's a cover, and it worked on you know sixteen or seventeen year old me at the time, certainly. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's. I mean, I it's like this is kind of what I was thinking or referring to um, when I mentioned how Billy shows off some kind of vocal stylings that we haven't quite heard this particular level from him. I thought this was like an actual, the more I listen to it, this is like a real standout vocal performance Yeah, from Billy, whether it's your favorite vein of his vocals or not. I, I really do dig it. It's very different. It's kind of, it. it's, it's almost Prince like in a way. Yeah. Like it's intimate and it almost kind of feels like you're like making love to Billy or like it's very intimate, like you're under the covers with him. It's yeah. it's got like simultaneously the like got a sexy vibe. It's simultaneously like very innocent sounding because of the kind of old timiness of, and simplicity of the song, but it's also kind of got this like sex vibe to sexy vibe to it like it's it's um bedroom yeah like, yeah oh. bedroom yeah bedroom under the covers and it yeah him hit that particular like kind of vibrato but like operatic whisper that he's doing it's like he's he's it's intimate and it's quiet but he's kind of really doing some um vocal gymnastics a little bit too yeah yeah it, it's true that this kind of um very well put i i completely agree this in a way could maybe match up to to think you know vocal or maybe mm-hmm. even be a better vocal than that because it's just one of those examples where uh billy shows what his falsetto singing voice can be at its peak you know it's it's so breathy and so delicate and soft and yeah. you know there's not a lot of people that were doing f- uh, just a complete falsetto to that degree i mean tom york comes to mind mm-hmm. looking back you know when we're younger we don't think about like oh what's the singing technique with this right you know I remember my mom would be like, oh, that doesn't sound like him. Like, that sounds like a woman. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's the point. Like, that's that's because women sound better than men. He wants to do that. You know, <laughs> he wants to sing with that fragile, you know, soft, angelic voice. Mm-hmm. You know, which it, it's hard to explain, you know, but you guys have covered it well on throughout the podcast talking about the the different versions of Billy's voice. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this stands yeah. out for sure. 
it feels like Jeff Buckley to me. You know, right. as far as that, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. intimate, soft, and powerful. The full moon's bright And starlight filled the evening We wrote it and I played it But something happened It's so strange, this feeling Naive notions that were childish Simple tunes that tried to hide it But when it comes This song gave me an incredibly Like we've been covering a lot of Corgan stuff But like this one really really made me It gave me a deeper appreciation for Corgan mm-hmm. And his vocal skills Because anybody who says he can't sing They just haven't heard enough of him singing like they only have heard the singles and stuff and even then there's an argument to be so like no he's a great singer but to hear something like this is just an on, on another level it's very impressive to me and um i love hearing him try that singing style uh, mm-hmm. I, I say try but he i think he pulls it off i think he does a really great job i love that he's stretching this far and i think it's really great it's a really great change of pace and i have a, just a deeper appreciation for him yeah, totally. Yeah, if you flash back suddenly to like Muzzle, the beginning of Muzzle, or like, you know, whatever, you know, the world is a vampire. Like, it, um, it's just such a, um, such proof that Billy was actively evolving his singing, but like that whatever he's doing at a given moment is deliberate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like and he. Like whether he's scream, whether it's like a banshee guttural wail or like this really kind of like kind of delicate, like um, intricate sounding um, soft vocal. Like he's yeah, he he yeah. He, he definitely thinks about his voice as as a, a, a versatile or something that can be like a really versatile part of his um, toolbox for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there were flashes of that voice even, you know, as far back as, uh, you know, that breakdown with the ask yourself a question, anyone but me part. Ask yourself a question, anyone but me, are you free? Yeah. That's, that's basically him doing, you know, the, the Billy breathy falsetto. Yeah. Soft, yeah. Uh, you know, fragile voice. And then it's true. Like, of course, it's a very... You know, it's a debated topic. It's a, it's an acquired taste. You know, his voice. But a lot of the people, I think, I agree with you guys. They they're forming that opinion if they're not into it. And of course, you know, everyone has. There's no right or wrong answer to this, but it's true. People are basing their opinion of his voice off, you know, listening to Bullet with Butterfly Wings or something, mm-hmm. or, you know, but then in today, which is you know just as popular, another of his biggest songs ever, you hear the voice that we're talking about in the, the whole first verse of the song. So mm-hmm, he's yeah. always showing the, the different sides to his range and his approach and, you know, and all, you know, keeping it shocking, going heavy, going light, going folky, going electronic, going metal, mm-hmm. going alternative, you know, it's just whatever. I, I, I like the, the constant evolution is always something that kind of kept me interested or following along with what, you know, he was up to throughout yeah. his career. It makes, so. it definitely makes you excited too, to think about, this upcoming music that's going to come out because there's so much of it and because on the seer album one of the things that excited me most about it was um not just the music and the production but like the way he flexes his voice like the variety 
sometimes calling back to things you haven't heard in a while, sometimes doing something new. And his voice has changed a little bit. Not he's not much like, uh, you know, but but his basically like he's he's widening his array of his repertoire kind of like, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's 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 yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool to track like throughout, you know, this at this point in his career. And then to think about how he's still doing it is very cool because it is such an acquired taste his voice but it is not yeah, one thing totally. either you know yeah yeah i mean like i i totally hear all sides of the issue like i i understand it's totally reasonable and makes sense why so many you know friends that i was with growing up they would make i would you know they would make fun of me for liking it as much as i liked it and i'm like okay well what are you listening to good charlotte or you know some 41 <laughs> right <laughs> that's, yeah that's yeah. the kind of thing that was happening when you're in high school in the early 2000s so it's you know there were there were your pop punk and your emo and your you know MTV kind of fans, mm-hmm. but which is all it's all one and the same. You know because now I look back at a lot of that music with more nostalgia and I and I have an, a, like a different appreciation for it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cra- it's crazy what what fit what twenty or so years does to you know you look back and you can hear it you look back more fondly. You and know? you could even see the ways in which perhaps the pumpkins influenced that stuff in a way that wasn't apparent when they were more like um, contemporaries or something like where, you know what I mean? Like where that stuff was brand yeah. new and felt like a totally new wave. It's almost like, I don't know, like when you talk about emo bands, like you could extend that to like um, people that you could point to a direct uh, link to like being influenced by the pumpkins or by Billy, you know, like even even like AFI or something, I would consider like having emo threads to it, you know, or um, what's the right. what's the guy who looks just like Billy? <laughs> um, the, oh, Gerard, Gerard Ray, yeah, 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 uh, yeah, My Chemical Romance, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Just one other thought about that is like a, a lot. I've had plenty of people throughout my life when they learn that like oh like. Like that guy's, he's like the Pumpkins fan, you know, in high school or in college or growing up. Like, oh, like you're the Pumpkins guy. And people would, you know, they kind of laugh like, okay, like, yeah, Billy Corgan's this or whatever. Because of how the media, you know, built him up to be right. in the press back then. But I've I've had a couple of friends at the time tell me that they like this Juan album more than any Pumpkins album. Yeah, us which too. Is, you know, which I don't think maybe all of us might not agree with him about that, but. I, I see where they come from. I get like it. I fully can recognize, you know, I get it. And in his voice, it's true. It's yeah. more it appeals to the masses possibly in a different way on Mary star of the sea than it would on a door or on machina mm-hmm. one yeah. or two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He kind of tones it down and he's trying to do different things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a consistent album. Totally. You know, it, it, it's, I'm not saying it's safe or they're going, I mean, there was talk that, you know, we're going to make like an, an artistic album and then, Billy said, we're going to make a pop album first. And like during the fallout with Juan, there was some quote from Dave or Matt about how, you know, the album was a little bit popular than they wanted it to be. And they said, oh, well, the plan was we're going to establish ourselves, you know, make a make a pop record, sell some records. And then then we can put out our our creative, you know, artistic expression album after that. And then it's funny because the Spun soundtrack, the, the Spun came out in the summer of 03 which was right around the time that Zwan officially announced the breakup. Mm-hmm. I looked back and checked. So right. it's fitting that it, that it did come out in a sense, but it wasn't, you know, the way they imagined it, which it never really is, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, you know, being in a band is like a battlefield and you know what else is like a battlefield? Love is a battlefield. Stand 
This is a Pat Benatar cover. So, Matt, what is your what do you, how do you feel about this cover? I think it's cool. You know, like again, at the time I, I would have had no idea that it was a Pat Benatar cover. And then of course, over time becoming familiar with the real version. You know, maybe I was in the grocery store or, or running errands <laughs> and you hear Love is a Battlefield with like the, you know, the eighties drum product the drum machine. It's like yeah. a, a cool energy, like the dum da dum da dum. an awesome song so, the original yeah, it's, it's for great sure. you know like and it, it's funny how how corgan just takes it and makes it his own you know he doesn't shy away the whole like we are yeah he really mm-hmm. just puts his whole his uh his take on it and it's you know I, I could see some people thinking that it might be cheesy or like kind of a funny choice to do but it's definitely a bold move to just do an acoustic cover of love is a battlefield yeah, yeah. it sort of has like a karaoke kind of you know it, it's like a, a crowd pleaser if you will yeah but yeah that that's really all i got about this one i think it's cool um it worked out it's a good choice and it showed a lot of people that were you know young kids when that song the original came out you know they didn't know who she was till then so yeah i yeah i i like the the kind of like dramatic and darker take of the song mm-hmm. uh parts of it almost sound like it's a song from like a made for tv movie or like Pacific Rim or something like that, you know, <laughs> like it kind of had with the guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I kind of like the darker tone to it uh a more dramatic tone to it what about you pat i love man i gotta say i love this cover like i think when i, I hadn't really you know uh, heard it besides probably 20 years ago when i saw the movie for the first time or however many years ago so when i saw it on the list of songs i was like oh okay it's similar to what you described matt like uh yeah they're just having fun kind of karaoke hits you know whatever but i was really impressed by what they did with this I think it kind of rules from a few seconds in. Um, And when you hear it in this context, it kind of sounds like a Billy original, sort of. It sounds like he could have written this song in a way. I don't know when, I don't know where it falls, like in his timeline, but in his. Yeah, that's what I thought too. In the multiverse of Billy. But um, yeah, I love the marriage between piano and electric guitar. It's so, like, um, rousing, but also very, like, intricate, but also bare but simple not bare like it's it's like a full sound but it's it's like sparse and clean you know what i mean like that's kind of what all these songs have in common is there there's like there's a real confidence to the um like they're not hiding behind anything you know there's no hiding here it's like either the guitar sounds really good the vocal sounds really good i don't know there's no fudging it behind like a lot of effects or a lot of production or anything and yeah, I, I think the challenge of the task of a good cover is to like do something slightly different with it than the original does, and I think they do that here. I think it's it's really cool. Mm-hmm. 
Next, we have Mary's Star of the Sea. Star of the Sea, which is a different version than we have on the self-titled album. Matt, what are your feelings on this version? Yeah, like I said before, with uh, the sister song or the you know the the twin version with Jesus I, Mary Star of the Sea. I think it's cool that they went back and did an acoustic version for the movie. I think it works well. It's interesting to hear some of the dynamic between what what's going on with their guitars and the song. Um, it fits in well and. Yeah, that's really all I got about this one. I think it's nice to hear a stripped-down version of the song, which they would do live, too. You guys have covered. Um, and, and you'll hear it on YouTube or on bootlegs that pop up, you know, acoustic live versions of the song. But yeah, it, it, it works out. I think it was cool. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I again, I do love the electric version of this so much that it is hard to beat that in my book. But it's really interesting how to see how a song like that um translates to just piano and acoustic you know like i've come to really appreciate just like um like we've just talked a lot about uh, how billy's best songs regardless of the band or the album or whatever they seem to have this thing in common where you could strip them up or strip them down but there's some core of like a really solid song in there that you can kind of go a lot of ways with and this is definitely one of them but i happen to be this is this is where the album really shines for me is this this chunk so it's um yeah but it's cool it's i i I enjoyed this version but yeah i'm 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 an album head on this song for sure Yeah. yeah it's a fun instrumental i i think it's super cool and i like the quirky darkness to it like it's like it is a movie score Right. It feels yeah. very movie score-ish, and um, it's just wild to listen to with headphones. It's a real treat to listen to uh, closely. Yeah, they put uh, some, so. like, there's some cool production tricks going on, and, yeah. and the more I think about it, where there's, like, this kind of wishy, like, washy, you know, stereo panning left to right, I kind of, like, that. underwater. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? It's, I don't want to say shoegaze, but kind of, uh, a bit, you know, yeah. they're putting some textural, some, some studio, they're putting... Uh, you know they're sweetening it up a little bit, throwing some tricks into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love some flourishes. That. I guess I'm trying to say yeah. it just sounds great with the acoustic. It just sounds really awesome when they when they make those production choices with the acoustic. You know, th- thinking about about it more now, it sort of reminds me of kind of on Machina Two how it, like if there is a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It almost sounds like my friend would joke that there's like a, a wind machine or like they had like a pedal that was just a noise of wind and they make it everything <laughs> sound like it's in like a haze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it fits in well with like the whole desert feeling of the movie. So it's like there's like a storm brewing up or they're caught in a, you know, a, a windstorm and they sw- the guitars are just swirling away with like this reverb kind of breezy haze over it. So, right. yeah, it, it's cool. It's cool that they went there and that they took the chance and, you know, because it's it could be easy to just say, oh, why would we want to touch the song? We recorded this epic 
you know, electric guitar studio version. Yeah. Right. Why bother even making a different version? But yeah, it's great that they did. Yeah. That's what I think. Nothing is wasted except maybe a little time, which brings us to our next track, Wasting Time. Wasting time, you'd understand. Wasting time, wasting time, we'll make our plans. Wasting time. Wasting time, Matt, what are your feelings? Yeah, another another cool kind of little country tinged acoustic little nice, you know, short kind. Of, I don't want to say like a mini song, but it, it has a catchy little refrain, little turnaround with the wasting time. You'd understand wasting time, like something about you and I have always just because we don't know the truth. I'm uh, I'm just trying to uh, throw out the lyrics as they as I can really remember them right now in my head. But yeah, I, I'm into the song. I think it's cool. It fits the whole kind of, I don't want to say Americana, you know, acoustic, you know, rootsy feel. Not to say that, but like you've described it as kind of like a Cormac McCarthy or like Des- yeah. Dusty Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, yeah, I, I really, um, I liked how you said that because it, I feel the same way when I hear this song. And yeah, that that's kind of what I think about it. It's cool. It works. It's a nice little accompany, accompanying moment of the of the scenes in the movie, so yeah. Yeah, Frank, I think you mentioned, you compared one of the earlier songs to Melodory Magpie, right? Yeah. You referenced that earlier. This definitely um, reminded me of that, as and like a few of these songs on here Absolutely. reminded me of the feeling of a lot of those um, Tonight, Tonight, Tonight single I wrote B-sides. that down too, yeah. Um, in a great way, because I, I, I love, yeah. you know, I love that batch of songs, but yeah, I thought this was, um, yeah, it, it's got that same kind of mood. I like how it's kind of um, fearlessly, like, unabashedly folksy, you know? It almost reminded me of, like, if you were to, if Billy Corgan were to be slotted in to the big concert they do in the movie A Mighty Wind, you know, with all the folk <laughs> acts, like, this yeah. would be, this would be a good one for Billy to play in that context. That's great, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. as his as his character with the wig, you know, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it shows up. Yeah, the doctor. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, this had Cotillion's vibes. Uh, Cotillion's vibes for me. Um, yeah, I liked it. I thought it was. I mean, I liked I liked hearing it live too. You know, when we covered some of those shows, uh, it's a it's a fun little song. It's not my favorite, but it's of of these songs. But it, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's cool. Mistake me for a Mistake me for a face you know Consider this all conscience Let no trouble come my way at home Wasting time You'd understand Wasting time So the next song is Revolve Revolve Around Start a revolution 
Revolve, Matt, your thoughts on Revolve? A nice little, um, just another cool Corgan kind of soft. You know, he's got that like, gonna start a revolution with you, Revolve, um, which is interesting. Um, thinking about, you know, like the subtle subconscious, maybe Beatles, you know, influence just resonating somewhere, residing somewhere within him. Um, I, I had heard this song. It was Juan had did those residency shows at the Hideout in Chicago. Yeah. There's a lot of bootlegs online about those. And uh, I, I believe that this song was played at those sessions. So I was familiar with hearing, um, or it might be on the DVD actually too. Um, you guys can yeah. let me know if I'm wrong about that. But uh, yeah, I had been, I'm used to the song. I'd been hearing it because it was on the DVD or on those bootlegs. And yeah, I, I think it fits nicely in the, in the movie and it's a cool song, you know? That's really all I have about that one. Yeah, I, I really dig this one. This is another one that r- sort of makes me think of the kind of um, this album or soundtrack being sort of the, the white sister to adore, you know? Like, it it, um, it felt like an extension of that world of songs. And again, I think that this combination of p- just pianos and guitars is very bold and also very pretty and... Um, not um not sleepy either like it's it's doing something you know it's that's like the, one of the strengths of a lot of these songs is that it's like it's stripped down in a way that you a lot of times when people say stripped down it's like not what they're often talking about i don't yeah. know like there's there's something a little more full to it and a little more kind of like um exciting to a lot of these songs yeah, and we'd hear that again kind of later on with the American Gothic EP where it's like acoustic, uh, loose quotes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but they're adding some heft to it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is a fantastic song, and it could have been a hit if it was released, I think. I mm-hmm. think it had that potential at that time especially because it almost has a where's my mind kind of feel to it mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I, I just think it would resonate with a lot of people and i think it would have probably done really well if they had released it but um strong strong and i mean i don't know where this actually falls in the quote-unquote real soundtrack uh but for how we're covering these songs uh based off of the sp codex thing i think it's a super strong closer and it's a really great song Mm -hmm. and that banjo too there's a banjo sound that's i think what really triggered like feelings of adore um but i think that's like woven in because again it's like you know it's not just guitars and piano it's like string instruments and piano primarily but like they do a lot with that within those parameters you know including introducing this banjo which like i don't know a pretty kind of like ethereal banjo sound like that when used correctly is like it's 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 really great yeah it's really great it's like a light touch that is um it's really well done kind of like i like the tashila Totally. Uh, production style yeah. banjo. Yeah. Totally. And like hearing hearing you guys talk about Revolve, it just sparks, it, it makes me think more of like the more I think about it, the, the beginning of the song is pretty cool. The verse, how he just sort of is sort of almost like talk singing, you know, it's like Revolve, mm-hmm. you know, it's very like calm and just sort of hushed the Revolve around, come back to, mm-hmm. come back to me, I think he says. But uh, yeah, it's just a nice kind of pretty soft Corgan song yeah yeah Yeah. it's such a great like relationship song for any kind of relationship too I think it just has like impactful Corgan lyrics that I really love yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well we have revolved around the sun we have done a full revolution around this um, spun soundtrack Um, 
Yeah. What do you guys think yeah. in terms of final final thoughts on, on on all this? It's interesting how we never really got the the proper Dolly Jolly's Juan, you know, album. They had talked about how they wanted to go Let It Be style and you know do a, like a documentary and you know film the sessions, which they did. You know, in a sense, the the bonus DVD on on the Juan album is sort of sort of covers that base. But this, it's great that they did the soundtrack and that they teamed up with um, Jonas again. The Corgan wanted to work with him because it, it does fit the movie really well and it gives Juan a lot of cool exposure that a lot of people probably heard about Juan that may, might have not because you know they saw the movie and they weren't you know listening or following with what Billy Corgan was up to after Smashing Pumpkins broke up in 2000 so yeah I, I think it were it's it's cool they did it the songs are nice and it's interesting in the, in the chronology of Juan because it came out you know after everything was kind of falling apart yeah, <laughs> you know right. it's like just a few months after the movie came out or so the the band had split up so they got their little swan song in you know and, and i'm glad that it happened mm-hmm. yeah i think it just gives me more appreciation because there are songs on here i just never really listened to because they're not exactly you know widely available or in circulation and it wasn't until we started doing this one swan z's and stuff that i again just like with the live stuff it just gives me I really, really have a deeper appreciation for Zwan and for Billy, and mm-hmm. I just think that this one just uh, gives us more facets of what he's capable, what he's capable of, and what this band could have been. And I, I, I really think it's great. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's like you know, it's I agree about like what Zwan could have been. But even if you, even that aside, it's it's just a n- more proof that it's if you're a fan of the Pumpkins and of Billy's work, it's worth doing you know it's worth looking under all the, these kind of nooks and crannies like these kind of more under the radar things the best of this stuff holds up with the best most popular most you know like it, it, it's it's like there's a quality to all of this that runs through like it, the 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 music changes and the the things he's going for changes but like there there's no I guess all I'm trying to say is there's no five-year period or 10-year period where you could, to me, dismiss um, what Billy was up to. Like, there's always going to be interesting stuff in there to, yeah. to search and to, to get to know better. Yeah. And also, like, one of my um, good friends who's a pumpkin um, expert, he, he always used to say to me that he thinks that between 1998 or so and, you know, 2005 is, is a pretty underrated period of Corgan's yeah. work, you know, because like, of course the mainstream tends to overlook Adore and Machina and Machina 1 and 2 and this Juan album and even the future Embrace, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, this is, I think that this whole Zwan, Jolly Zwan spun era is a great, um, it, it's a great capturing of a lot of stuff that it's a shame that more people didn't get the chance to hear and some of his best work, you know, he was going through some changes in his personal life and with the pumpkins ending and I think his, his relationship with Elena ended around that time. And, you know, it, it was just an interesting time for the music that he was creating. And it, it came out in a, in a way that I think that they're probably still proud of. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm proud of us for our episode <laughs> that we've just produced. Um, yeah, this is a great one. Um, Matt, thank you so much for joining us and for offering your insights. Um, this Zwan season. Um, yeah, Zwanzi's and continues for a little bit longer. Right? Zwanzi's and doesn't go by the um, what calendar do we use in a, in our society? The Gregor, what is it? The the the, the, 
the Roman Christian ca- calendar? Christian calendar. <laughs> Roman, Roman Christian, cal- I don't know. The it, Roman Christian it Gregorian standard daylight, <laughs> standard time calendar. Zwan season, it's like, you know, it's on its, you know, it's on its yeah. own, spinning on its own axis. So, yeah, um, we have... Uh, yeah. At least one episode left. Uh, we're going to do it a little differently because there's, uh, w- as we were going through the Zwan tracks we haven't covered yet, there's about like oh, 30 plus, maybe 40 songs. So we're going to kind of do it commentary style for the next one. It'll be fun. Uh, but yeah, then we'll be done with Z- Zwan season and then we're going to move on to uh, Jimmy Chamberlain Complex, which will be really fun. Yeah, that'll be great. And then, uh, yeah, lots more, lots more to come. And then, of course, eventually we'll be before too long, we'll be getting into yeah, you know, what Matt just mentioned, which is the future embrace. And then, you know, we'll, yeah, then the sky's the limit from there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had this, uh, this one interesting thing I wanted to share. I, I found some old Rolling Stone magazines when I was visiting my parents during the holidays. And there's a great quote. Um, it, it's this one article in a 2003 Rolling Stone. And uh, they ask, so what's Billy like? And it says, Matt Sweeney, guitar vocals, played in Skunk Chavez. He goes, the only drag about being in Zwan is the Smashing Pumpkins. It's an advantage because they allowed this band to exist, giving Billy the money and the time to do this. On the other hand, everybody asks about the Smashing Pumpkins. Right. Definitely, from my experience of seeing them, people were yelling out Soma and stuff as though, like, you know, as though they were just going to be potentially playing that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The article also confirms what you guys had talked about, how um, in this one CD booklet where Corgan lists himself as Billy Burke, Corgan grins, Billy Burke played Galinda, the Good Witch, and the Wizard of Oz. I'm tired of playing the Wicked Witch. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's something we failed to mention, but uh, we were corrected on. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to share that. thought it was interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. definitely interesting and worth noting for sure. Billy Burke. All right. Thanks to Matt for joining us for this episode. And if you want to check Matt out, you can find him on Instagram at Matt Billington underscore. You can also check out his bands at Holy Tunics and at Phantom Handshakes on Instagram. And you can also check him out on Bandcamp with his solo stuff at mattbillington.bandcamp.com. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us this this uh, Zwan season. Um, and uh, yeah, lots more to come in 2022. Stay tuned. Yep, and you can hit us up on the socials on Twitter at Pumpkins Podcast and on Instagram at Smashing Pumpcast. Cast is spelled K-A-S-T. You can also email us at thesmashingpumpcast at gmail.com. As we said, K-A-S-T. We're also on TikTok, but we haven't really used it much. Uh, We're on Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee. All the links are in our link tree on our socials, or you can just check out the show description. We always post stuff there, uh, all the links there, as well as our merchandise. You can buy two t-shirts now, uh, or two colors of the one version of the t-shirt we have, but we're going to be releasing more, maybe some sweaters, some other swag here in the near future. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're going to be posting some stuff on the Patreon, like the Ray Romano's one episode of SNL commentary on that. Yes. So hit us up, uh, let us know how you're enjoying the show too. And, um, we love to hear from you. If you have any other rare stuff right now, we're trying to collect all the high quality versions of the, tear garden stuff so that way when we get to it 
we can have quality versions because right now we only have YouTube rips. Whoops. Uh, so help us out with that if well, you can. Well, except, except for Volume oh, yeah, 2. Oh, yeah, because you have Volume 2. You just bought that. Still sealed, but we we I'm willing to unseal it for, for the cast. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And until next time, never lose that feeling. feeling. Yeah. Spud. Yeah.